take them and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Our text this morning will be found in verses 1 through 3. Philippians 4, 1 through 3. We have made it to the fourth and final chapter um, in our study so far in the book of Philippians. We are cruising. We started this, I mean, just as recently as September. We're already to chapter 4. Thank you, Craig, so much for leading us and the rest in worship. I love when Craig leads. It's almost like I'm not quite sure what is next with certain areas have certain um, uh, uh, responsibility. I'm a lot lot more predictable. This is what I'm expecting from this section this morning. Just let you know, when the Word of God is being preached, I want you to listen to it. This section right here, as the Word of God is being preached, I want you to listen to it, okay? On my cue, this, this section right here, as the Word of God is being preached, I want you to listen to it. And this section, all the way over here, and even those people in the back, just so you understand what your job description is this morning, when the Word of God is being preached, I want you to listen to it, okay? We have our job description this morning. Thank you. Thank you, uh, my brother, for leading us before the throne of grace in worship. God has blessed us. Oh, it is a it is a right home about kind of a day today. Crisp and clear and cold. And we are warmed together, warmed by the presence, first and foremost, of the Holy Spirit and also of one another. It is a great privilege to worship and fellowship together. We need to pray first. We ask for the God's help to lead us and open up eyes and ears to see and to hear from him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. We together with one voice, one heart, one mind, we are one body. We want to express our gratitude for your amazing grace that we have already been reminded about this morning. We thank you, Lord, that although we understand that we fall short of your glory, that at, that at the very best, what we do best is sin. In our thoughts and mind and speech and action. And, and yet, Lord, because of your grace, your mercies that are new every day, and your love for us, your unconditional love, that you receive us that you desire to be in relationship with us, that you see us, Lord, justified and declared righteous because of the finished and full work of Jesus on the cross. And Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that that would, that would be um, heard and, and seen most importantly this morning, that Jesus would be proclaimed. Father, we have been blessed as a local church and we thank you for what you have called us to do. And we ask this morning that you in your might and power and and in your sovereign reign and rule that you would speak to us and convict us where we need to be convicted when it comes to drawing us closer and knitting us in tighter fellowship and relationship with one another. Father, help us, help me to come to the end of myself. All of, 
all of us come to the end of ourselves. And may we see you first and others seconds. And may you equip us and empower us to be change agents, salt and light in a time and a culture and a context that's so needed. Father, please, in a personal way, I just ask for, and I plead for help this morning, that you would declare it to your thought and mind and speech, that everything that is said and done, everything would, would direct focus to you. Speak now and may us, your servants here, we ask this in the strong and powerful and wonderful and amazing, matchless name of Jesus, our Savior, the Messiah. Amen. Amen. Okay, we have been looking at last couple of weeks what we refer to as um, spiritual maturity. We've been looking at and hopefully learning about the importance, importance of spiritual progress. And Paul has used these phrases that we are to be pressing on for the prize or straining forward. And we know in tough time of the year, it's hard, but we know that there is great, great joy in obedience to the Word of God. Now today we're going to make a little bit, and you may note a change, and it may seem subtle at first, but it's important. It's a very important change. This morning we go from straining, striving forward that we learned in chapter 3 to what I call standing firm in chapter 4. You hear that and you're like, um, wait a minute, kind of difficult here. Is it, is it moving forward or is it standing still? Like what, 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 are, you, what are we supposed to do? We're to do both of them. Let me tell you this, spiritual maturity comes as a result of striving forward. Spiritual stability comes as a result of standing firm. We use this analogy, and Paul uses sports analogies. Every good athlete who seeks to, to win the race, win the prize, keeps his or her eyes on the goal. But what's interesting is that they also must be aware, any good athlete must be aware as far as what's happening around them, aware of their surroundings. This is the uniqueness of the local church of Jesus Christ. As we are called and commanded to stand firm, we must, we must, we must learn, be aware, and be willing to come alongside one another. That's what this text is about this morning. The importance of seeing one another and willing to come alongside of one another. Here's our text for us. Philippians chapter 4. It's a short text. just three verses. It says this. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. My beloved, I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Suntuke to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women 
who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. The word of the Lord. This past week we know that it has been for some reason unusually icy out there. It melts and, and then it freezes and it melts and freezes and, and it seems to be icy all over the place. And so inevitably what I found is that as I'm walking alongside my wife, Wendy, I instinctively want, you want to reach out, you want to hold on to that person as much as I want that person, Wendy, to hold on to me as well. Why? So that we don't slip and fall. The, the exact same principle applies in the world all around us that we are to hold on to and we're to keep one another from slipping and from falling. Solomon writes in all of his wisdom in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 10, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And if someone falls, we're instructed in what? Galatians chapter 6. If... But one falls, then you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of meekness and gentleness. And Paul says, keep watch on yourself, lest you also be tempted. This is what Paul is talking and teaches us this morning. If you look at this text in front of us, and he begins with these terms of affection to these believers. Oh, how he loves. He loves them. He misses how he, he longs for these people, this church at Philippi. He calls them my joy and my crown. A wonderful reminder of the uniqueness of this relationship. Miles apart, months apart. But for some reason, they're still close with one another. This church, the Philippians, would be the crowning jewel. They would become the crowning achievement of his ministry that would bring him great joy. That's the introduction. And then basically he gives them one word. In Greek, it's one word of instruction. In English, it reads two words. In, in Greek, it's literally the word steiko. It's the main verb from from verse 1 all the way down through verse 9 that we'll spend over the next couple weeks. And it literally translates, stand firm. Or the old King James says, stand fast. This is what we are to to do as a local church, to persevere and to persist. It's an imperative, which means it's a command. This is not a multiple choice. If you get a chance, if, if you don't have anything else to do, then just stand fast. And it's not that. It's almost a, it almost has a, a military ring to it. Not militant, but a military ring to it. It is of utmost importance because it speaks of our own, what? Spiritual stability. People, it is no surprise, with strong prevailing winds that are blowing against the church. Strong prevailing winds that are blowing against you in your own life. On what seems to be ever what? Shifting, slippery surfaces underneath. 
causing many people today, many people who call themselves Christians, many people who go to church every single week with that life, with that ever-shifting foundation. And it's hard to stand up. People literally are being rocked. They're being knocked over. It is here that the Word speaks. It is here that the Word teaches. And the Spirit of God reminds us this morning what? Stand firm. Stand firm. And the first instruction that we see here that is given after this stand firm in the Lord is what? I entreat. Or it means I urge, I implore, I exhort. Paul's speaking about the importance of what? The need that if we are to stand firm as a church, number one, we must be urging others to live in unity. If we are to stand firm as a church, we must, we must be constantly and continually in grace and love urging others to live in unity. I entreat you, Adia, and Suntuke to agree in the Lord. Paul, interestingly here, doesn't really go into any detail. He doesn't, he doesn't say what the problem is. Doesn't tell us the source or reveal the source of their tension. And I'm like, why? Like, why doesn't Paul like give us a little bit more meat here? You know why? Because it's not important. The subject of disagreement is not important. What is important is this: is that you got two gals that are squabbling in the context of the local church, and it needs to be, it must be uh, addressed. Before we go any further, let me make it very clear that these are just two examples. This does not suggest in any way that there can't be two men that are disagreeing in the local church. In this particular context, it just happened to be two gals. And, and Paul just, he literally, you want to stand firm? This is what you're going to do. Why is, why is this subject so important? Why is unity so important? It's a condition called hemotohydrosis. Those of you with a medical background, forgive me if I'm murdering the pronunciation of hemotohydrosis. What is, what, what is that? It's a condition that when someone is under such duress and strain that, that blood vessels actually burst and, what, and blood can seep out or pour out your pores through your skin. You realize that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnate, the very last day of his formal final ministry before he was what? Betrayed, arrested, and crucified. God, the creator and sustainer of the universe who came to earth, wrapped himself in, in, in the in the lowliness of humanity, is on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is, he is pouring out and he is pleading, he is pleading with his heavenly Father in prayer. So much so that what? That, that his blood vessels have burst, that he's not just sweating 
He's actually bleeding. He's under that much duress. And he prays in John chapter 17. Craig quoted it this morning. Referred to as the high priestly prayer. And he says this. He says, I ask, I ask, I ask for those who believe in me through their word that they may all be one. So much strain and so much stress. Jesus is pleading on our behalf. That those who believe, that those who profess would all be one. Jesus says, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You realize the intensity of this prayer, the intensity, importance of this subject. This isn't an isolated comment in, in, in Scripture, throughout all of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there will be no divisions amongst you, that, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Colossians in chapter 3, verse 13, bearing with one another. Isn't that descriptive of what the church is like? We just have to bear with one another. And if he has to complain against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Ephesians chapter 4, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, Paul writes, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience. Here it is again, bearing with one another in love. And I love this, eager, eager and anxious to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The psalmist writes in Psalm 133, behold, how good and how how pleasant we could say how beautiful it is when brothers and we can say brothers and sisters dwell in unity. So it, it makes sense. It makes sense that here in this text, the Apostle Paul, remember, he has planted this church. He has discipled this church. He loves this church. He misses this church. And he has heard, although he is miles, he's been months apart, he has heard of disagreements. He's heard of disunity within the body of Christ. And therefore, as any good shepherd, he must address it. What's interesting here is he's not only what? He's not only urging others to unity, he's correcting others from disunity. I just was like, I'm still inquisitive. Like, what, what is it? And I searched and I dug. And we don't know a lot about these gals, to tell you the truth. They may have been in that group of ladies that were by the river when Jesus was, when, when Paul was planting the church and, and initially um, um, teaching. Maybe they were like part of the first ones. We, we know that they're apparently part, they're, they're, there are those that if they had the equivalent of membership, they would have been members of this local church. They're not like troublemakers from the outside. I think we could very easily conclude that in all honesty, this isn't a major doctrinal issue here or differences that were influencing or infecting the rest of the body of, of 
believers. So I think, I think Paul would have addressed it very clear. And so I think stepping back, it's probably safe to surmise that it's probably a minor issue. But left, left alone, disunity, discord, left alone within the body of Christ can what? Although it might be a minor subject, can cause major problems, major repercussions. So his approach is simple and direct. here's, Here's the wisdom. I want you to tell these two ladies what? Here it is. Agree in the Lord. So, so they, like these two gals are at one another's throats for some reason. The instruction is, agree in the Lord. I think the New American Standard adds some emphasis and expands a little bit on this verse because it repeats, I urge you, Adia, and I urge Suntuke to live in harmony in the Lord. To live in harmony. To agree. It's the Greek word autos. It means simply the same or pertaining to that which is identical to something. You're like, wait a minute. Let's step back and look at this for real. Identical to something. They're obviously two different women, two different names, two different backgrounds, two different families. They have different interests. They have different gifts, different likes and dislikes. One apparently likes stripes and the other one likes polka dots. Whatever it is. But the idea is what? It's okay. It's okay that one likes stripes and the other likes polka dots. It's okay. Why? Because to live in harmony means what? What is this idea of harmony when people are singing in harmony? It means that there's different parts. People sing different parts. There's bass and alto and soprano. There's different parts that are represented here. Tenor. And yet, yet when people sing in harmony, they're, they're, they all have different voices. They're all unique from one another, but they're all focusing on the same words, on the same lyrics. They're all singing the same song. That's what, that's what is the idea of the local church of Jesus Christ. That we want unity. We don't necessarily want uniformity. And it says what? Agree, and I love these three words, in the Lord. It doesn't say you have to agree on the color of the paint. It says agree in the Lord. kind of sounds familiar to just back to the previous verse, stand firm in the Lord. Which means that there are many, many things that are different in their lives. But there is one thing, they have one thing in common. And that one thing that they have in common is really all that matters. Because that one thing they have in common is what? Is the Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing that matters. Which means what? Both of them recognize that they're sinners. Both of them surrendered what? To the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives. Both recognize what? That they have been forgiven through the work of Jesus. Both recognize that they've been justified or declared righteous 
Both of them recognize that they're in this slow and oftentimes uphill process of being sanctified. Both of them are, are gifted with spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has, has given to them. Both love Jesus. Both want to serve Jesus. Both of them are going to heaven. Both of them are going to spend eternity together. So what? They better figure out now how to get along. Which means what? Let's consider the context of the local church of Jesus Christ today. It really doesn't matter if it's chocolate chip or oatmeal raisin. It doesn't really matter if it's hymns from a hymn book or choruses from what? From an overhead. It really doesn't matter. What matters is what? We are one in the Lord. Which means what? And we've heard horror stories. It doesn't matter if it's pews or chairs. It doesn't matter if it's jeans or khakis. It doesn't matter if it's Bill Gaither or David Crowder. It doesn't matter if the grape juice is fermented or what? Not fermented. Whoa now, preach it, pastor. The list goes on. When it comes to agreeing in the Lord, it doesn't matter if you're immersed or sprinkled. It doesn't matter if you hold to Reformed theology or Arminian theology. It doesn't matter if you're homeschooled or Christian school or public school. We are to agree in the Lord. NIV, KJV, ESV. Whoa! Yeah, yeah. We'll spend, we'll spend eternity with people who believe in what? Pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation. All mill, post-mill. It's all what? As long as we all agree in the Lord, which is what? Let's step back for a moment. First and foremost, if we believe in the deity of Christ, first and foremost above any and all doctrines that we know that Jesus Christ is not just some great teacher, not just a prophet, that he was born of a virgin miraculously, that it was God himself who came to save you and I. That we hold to the fact that what? That this word, every single word, is perfect. It's infallible and inerrant. And it gives what? Life. It's alive, it's quick and powerful. We believe that. We believe that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. And we hold on to. That's what we agree on. We can never really, we can never really promote this um, maybe tagline uh, publicly, but I, I, I have told people, I just need to be honest, but I've told other people in our community, I oftentimes will use this phrase, Big Woods is the church that just doesn't care. And I know that just doesn't sound well, it doesn't really sell well. What do you mean? Like Big, big, big Woods is the church, it doesn't, it doesn't really care. They don't care. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, we care about about foundational things. We care about the gospel. But apart from that, it doesn't really matter how you come dress the church. Wear whatever you want, as long as it's modest and you're covered up. We don't want to see that. 
doesn't really matter about whether or not you're what everything's perfect and choreographed. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that we are what? We are sinners who are loved and forgiven from a holy God who has drawn us into relationship with Him through the finished and full work of the Lord Jesus Christ. What matters is that we live and eat and breathe and sleep the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything that we do and every program, every book that we present, every class that we teach, every message that we shout out hold the fact that there is what a holy God and sinful men. And yet there's no way that we can be relationship apart from what those sinful men recognizing that God has called us to be in relationship with Him. When we put our faith and our trust in the work of Christ, that we can be in relationship. When we pray to a holy God, it's like what? It's like talking to our Father. I just love you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for waking me up another day. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for allowing my heart to beat. I was reading my notes yesterday morning with my cup of coffee and, and, and I was holding my hand and I, and I noticed that my, my pulse, you can see your pulse in your wrist sometimes. I get easily distracted. <laughs> reading my notes and I'm just like, right there. I don't deserve another heartbeat. Look at that. Honey, come over here. Put your coffee down. Look at this. That's the relationship. That's why it's so important for us to understand that as a church we're going to be obedient. We're going to be fully obedient to what matters. To care about that which we are to care about and forget some of the silliness and non-essentials that has divided churches today. Before I move on to my second point, can I just pause for a moment, step away from the Word? Can I, can I tell you this, that I believe in many ways Big Woods is doing really good here. I honestly believe that. Are we perfect? No, we're not perfect. Do we still have room to go? We still have room. But I think that we're taking some of the silliness and, and just let's not argue about it. Let's focus on what matters. And as a, as a shepherd, we still have progress. We still have a way to go. Let me tell you this. I'm proud that this is important to us. And that you put your personal preferences of what polka dots aside. And you focus on what matters. Point number two. Here we go. If we are to be a church that is to stand firm, not only are we going to be urging others to live in unity, but here we go. We're also to be helping others to focus on unity. So we're urging others, but we're actually helping others to focus on unity. I ask you also, true companion, those who are reading, perhaps the, the elders of this church, the leaders, and I love this, help these women. Help these women. Why? Because these are good gals. They have labored, what? Side by side with me in the gospel. Which means what? If we're going to do this and do this right, we're going to do this and do this well, it cannot be just a verbal urging. You need to be unified. You need to be united. You, you need to, it's not just that. 
Which means what? We actually have to get off of our horse. And we got to get down into the mud. And we're going to physically help them. Which means what? Words alone will never cut it. These gals need action in order to come to an agreement. All right, like, how do we do that? Like, what do you mean? I'm going to get down on my horse. I'm going to get in the mud. What does it mean? The first thing we do here, what, is we, we do this by remembering past labors together. So as you get down and you speak with them, you focus on what really matters in life. That they have what? They have been laboring side by side in the highest work that anyone could ever focus on, and that is the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the, the track record for these gals appears to be, apparently, is very, very positive. But then with all of us, there, something happened. Some kind of a, of a falling out, a, a disagreements, maybe even in, in arguments, I know this is hard for you to think of, but just just hold on to this, that even in a church, people are going to disagree. Even in a church. I'm often reminded of two sisters, Mary and Martha. Remember that in John chapter 11 as Jesus is coming and you got sisters and they're just at each other's throats. Come on, Mary, pick up a broom, do something. No, Martha, he's coming and we get to just enjoy his presence just sit down they're arguing these are sisters it happens years and years ago we had a work day at the church i was pastoring and as i as i came down the stairs to the downstairs portion um i heard literally i heard yelling i heard i heard arguing i heard it and and I was concerned, and so it was it was a church work day, and 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 I and I followed the the sound of the arguing, and, and it took me all the way to the back to the to the deepest darkest part of the church where the furnace room was, and behind the furnace there were two men that were hanging sheetrock, a firewall, and they were they were they were inches apart from one another, screaming at one another. And I'm not exaggerating. Because one of them thinks that the sheetrock should be hung, hung vertically, and the other one thought the sheetrock should be hung horizontally. Less waste that way, apparently. I have no idea. I don't know anything about sheetrock. And I literally, I worked and wormed my way in between them. I said, what are you doing? Well, he wants to put sheetrock up vertically. No one puts it up vertically in a basement. You, you know what? They, they're good. They were good men. They were very good men. And, and all I did was, what? They took, took their hammers from one another took their hammers, their tools, sharp things. And I said, guys, what are we doing here? We're working on a church. Okay, what's the church about? Well, it's about telling people 
that Jesus changes lives. And, and, and they, as I ask questions, and they, they helped what? Teach one another that what they're arguing about was absolutely silly. But it happens. So that's why we have to focus on that which matters. The work of the gospel. That we what? Stand fast in the Lord. That we agree in the Lord. That it's in the Lord part that we have to pause on. So yes, there are times that conversation is needed. Sit down. Express the grievance that you have to one another. Work it out. Matthew chapter 18 talks about the fact that we actually can offend one another because of our actions. I've offended people without even knowing that I've offended them. And I still am responsible to go and make things right. Colossians in chapter 3 and verse 13, it says, what are we supposed to do is let we forgive one another. Why? Because we have been forgiven. And that's what we are to focus on. So not only do we, what, help by remembering past labors together, and that it's for the work of the gospel, but we also help by what? What else? By reminding one another of a future and eternal life together. Just back up just a couple verses. We actually looked at this last week. And this is what we have to do so that we stay together. Paul wrote what in, in verses 20 and, and 21, but our, our citizenship is in heaven. It really doesn't matter about, about chocolate chip or oatmeal raisin. It really doesn't matter about sheetrock going this way or sheetrock going this way. It really doesn't matter about stripes of polka dot. It doesn't matter. What matters is the fact that you and I, we're just moving through this place. And we move through this place. We tell and we bring as many people. God, please draw them unto you. Use us however you want us to be used. Because there's a home that's waiting for us. And it's a lot bigger, a lot better, a lot prettier, a lot more cozy, a lot more comfortable than this home. And it's the greatest home. Why? Because God himself will be there. And we will be what? We will be through that painful process of chipping off the rough edges of sanctifying one another through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The moment of salvation, we are justified. Through our entire lives, we are being sanctified. And yet at that moment, when we are what handed, what? Eternal residence in heaven, we are glorified. Not only will we see the Lord and fall on our face in worship, but we'll see one another and we will spend, what, all of eternity together. Let's just practice now on how to do that and how to do that well. And so we conclude. And, and, and we must. I, I, I can look from my vantage point and I can see that there are all kinds of differences. And from my vantage point, I think we're doing well. I don't think we're doing great. I think we're doing well. But we have to ask the question, is there any disunity in your own heart and in your own life toward that person? And you know that person. The one sitting in front of you with a real big head that you can never see around. The one that just, it just, they just bother you. They don't even do it. It's, it's just to see them. Just when I see them, they bother me. 
Is there, is there disunity that exists within the body of Christ? Is there disunity that exists within your own life? It's necessary. It is necessary, especially before we go to the table of the Lord to make things right with one another. Maybe we need to do that. As you ask yourself, am I in complete union, complete fellowship, complete koinonia and oneness with my brothers and sisters in Christ? And are we focusing what? On the in the Lord part more than anything else. Why, why, does, like, why, why does this matter? Because as cancer is to the body, so is disunity to the local church. The very plans, the very plans for this church building, the footprint for this old warehouse actually came from another church down south. Almost identical layout, almost identical footprint, identical square foot. The, the layout for this church came from another building project that the church split in disagreement. And those plans were never used. And so the architect or designer said, hey, I, I know plans that would work pretty well for this building right here. And he took those plans of that project he was once working on and he put them here, he turned them around, boom. Now we know that that's, that's, that's the cancer, but God still... God still, although there has been disagreements in the past, God still, in an amazing way of only His grace, can take what that, that ugliness and that ashes and can turn it into something amazingly beautiful. So know that. So know that. Be encouraged what God is doing. He's doing something well. He's doing something real. And that He's calling us to examine our hearts and lives. There's no greater time. I don't think there's any better time to do that than time that we recognize the communion table of the Lord. But we know that, in a sense, the communion table does three things. It, it points us back to the past. From this moment forward, we, we look back this morning about what Jesus Christ has done for us. That this is basically an object lesson, a visible reminder of what Jesus Christ did. That his body was broken, his blood was poured out, he suffered and he died. And that is the foundation message of the good news of Jesus. And so as we remember the community table, we look back, just like the Israelites remembered and celebrated the Passover when God freed them. This is, this is our Passover moments. We look back to what Jesus Christ has done. But the community table also, and I love this, it reminds us of this very moment, the present here and now. That we today are the body of Christ. There's, there's what? There's fingers and arms, legs and toes. Oh, some of those toes are ugly, just like some of us are ugly. But we have a function, don't we? And we know that as we are the body of Christ, we know that Christ is the head. 
And so the communion table reminds us presently of the fellowship that we can have and the way that we are to be functioning as one for His glory. I love the fact, I love the reminder that the communion table also what? It thrusts us forward. Allows us to focus on what Jesus has in store for us. It's certainly a somber moment remembering the suffering and death, but it's also a moment of celebration. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says this, I I tell you that I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That this actually reminds us that our citizenship is in heaven and the Lord is coming to take us. And in His second coming, it will not be like what? A humble little baby in a manger, but He's coming as the ruling reign of all sovereign authority. So what are we to do? Every single time, as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim of the Lord's death until He comes. And that's what we're doing. Past, present, future, all focused through the bread and the cup this morning. We know that Jesus was sitting with His disciples and they're like us where they're leaning in but they don't always get it. Jesus says, I'm going to give them something that they can taste and smell and hold on to and remember that they don't forget me. This is, this is what? Prophetic. This is before it happened. So Jesus took bread and, and, he, and he held it up and he said, this is a picture of my body. And he broke the bread just like that. And he what? He said, just as this bread is broken, so is my body going to be broken. And he passed it out and And they ate it, just as you're going to eat it in a moment. And he took the cup of the vine. And he poured it out. He said, this is a picture, this is a picture of my blood that's going to be poured out. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. Created me a clean heart, the psalmist said. Renew a right spirit within me. Wash me, cleanse me, help me be white as snow. That's the hope of every bit of dark sin and blackness that exists. When we put our faith in the full finished work of Jesus, it is through his blood that cleanses us and washes us and allows us to be declared righteous and to be in fellowship with the Holy God. And so this is what we do regularly, just as Jesus Christ commanded. We do this regularly until he comes. So we're going to have opportunity for every single one here that if you are a believer, make it very clear, if you have put your faith in what Jesus Christ has done by allowing his what? Willingly allowing his body to be broken and blood to be poured out on our behalf, then I invite you to to take this. This will be served by elders and others in our body as they just serve you. Take this as a reminder of what Jesus Christ did to pay the price for our own sin. But could I also remind you that if you're here this morning, maybe this is your first time or you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, I don't want to be rude who, who comes here and, and say, yeah, this is not for you, but I have to be truthful to say this is not for you. It would be silly. It would be meaningless. You're not going to get full off it. 
This is not for you if you've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to make something very clear. I want to invite you that if you recognize that you are a sinner and you don't have to convince many people of that truth, they know it. That our sin separates us. But yet if this morning, at this moment, if you want to, what? Receive the gift of grace that is offered to you of salvation. Then by all means, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. We teach and preach that we are to surrender that our whole life, not some of our life, our whole life, is what in submission to his authority, to his lordship. So Jesus is not only our savior, but he now is our Lord. And in that decision, I would invite you to take this and to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done. I'm going to ask the elders to come. Uh, we have a couple elders who are away, so we're going to have uh, some help this morning. They're going to come, and, and just so that you know, they're going to serve you the bread first. And I'm going to ask that you not take it, that we will pray together and ask God's blessing on both the bread and the cup, um, and then we'll take uh, serve you the cup, and we will take that together. Gentlemen. Did everyone receive the bread to serve the bread this morning? Okay. Let's bow our heads and, and pray together. Father, we thank you for 
who you are as our hearts are, are quieted, as our heads are bowed. As we pause, Lord, on the magnitude of this moment of recognizing and celebrating, looking back, looking presently and looking forward of, of all that the Lord's Supper is a reminder of. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for suffering on our behalf, for taking the full wrath that we deserved. We are most grateful that you love us and have forgiven us. We thank you, Lord, for seeing, Lord, not just past, but through our sinfulness because of the cost, the price that was paid. We thank you, Lord, that you can cleanse us, make our hearts pure as snow. Father, I just pray that we would, even at this moment, be reminded of specific areas and maybe even specific sins that you have drawn to uh, the forefront of our minds and memories. Father, help us to know the importance of striving to be one as a body, one in the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the bread and for this cup. And we ask, Lord, that as we partake of it, that it would, it would give us a picture, Lord, of, of what awaits us for um, eternal glory. Thank you, Lord, that it's, it's preparing for eternity that gets us through another week and focusing on, on what you have for us. It gives us the strength to be faithful in the here and now. Father, I just pray for this church that we would be um, of one mind, as one body, that you would be glorified as we recognize you as Savior and surrender to you as Lord. Bless this bread, bless this cup now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says this, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said this, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, eat this in remembrance of me.
Thank you, uh, my brothers who helped us. Did everyone receive a cup? Who wanted to receive a cup? Can I get this in? It says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant, the new promise in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we look forward to that. Craig's going to come and Mark's gospel actually says before they left the upper room, they sang a hymn together. And so that's what we're going to do. Let me just remind you, if you have a question, something you don't fully understand, by all means, we'll have someone up front um, to answer that question.